0: Well, hello, everybody, and a very warm welcome to Aerospace, the all new aviation podcast series brought to you by Aero Explorer. My name is Ajaz Kedanush, and it's a pleasure to be your host for this week's episode. Enjoy.
1: Vancouver
0: 1337, uh, so far. Well, A little bit about me then. I am a writer in the Aero Explorer writing team. You can find my articles on aeroexplorer.com. And whilst I was born in Mauritius, I actually grew up in London in the United Kingdom. But I'm currently training to be a pilot as part of the flight training program at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Daytona Beach, Florida. Well, that's it from me for now. I'll leave you in the very capable hands of our speakers and contributors for this week. I do hope you enjoy our lineup and I'll speak to you guys in a bit.
2: Hello, my name is Tejas.
0: My name is Daniel.
3: My name is Winston.
0: And today's discussion
2: topic involves a recent merger between Spirit Airlines and JetBlue, both of which are major players in the US low-cost airline market. Today, we'll specifically be focusing on the potential repercussions of this merger So let's begin by talking about the background history. So prior to the announcement between JetBlue and Spirit, we had seen Frontier Airlines being the main potential buyer of Spirit Airlines. But all throughout that process, we saw JetBlue being completely desperate on buying Spirit because JetBlue is looking for greater market share because of the three legacy carriers american united and delta and jetblue basically wants to ensure that it can get the most market share possible but it simply does not have that feasibility with its current aircraft standings and overall fleet size and route size enter spirit spirit is a huge ultra low-cost airline it competes with frontier it competes with allegiant of course it competes with all the other airlines out there However, the one thing about Spirit that is so special is that it keeps its operating costs very, very low, just like the other low-cost carriers. And unlike JetBlue's other purchase, which was Virgin America, JetBlue wanted to purchase Virgin America before Alaska bought it out. Spirit had greater fleet size. They had more connectivity. They had more routes than Virgin America, from what I understand. And that would make JetBlue, if the merger were to work out, the fifth largest airline after Southwest, American, and Delta and United. Not in that order, but of course, JetBlue wants to gain that market share. It wants greater fleet size. It wants more passengers to travel on them compared to the legacies. And we can argue that JetBlue has the best in flight experience of the four other largest airlines, Southwest. Delta, American and United. As a Delta fan, I can attest that JetBlue is a excellent airline to travel with. But even then, we have to emphasize the fact that JetBlue wants that market share. I
1: was doing research. I just found out Frontier and Spirit, their deal would have been valued at $6.6 6 while the current deal is $3.8 I believe, where um, JetBlue purchased Spirit Especially considering the route maps for Spirit and JetBlue. So both airlines have a large presence in Florida. JetBlue has a has a large presence in the Caribbean than Spirit. But Spirit has a much larger presence than JetBlue, at least, in Central America. So like just their routes can complement each other, especially with this merger. I, I think it would have done the same thing with Frontier. But like especially it'll be interesting to see how, especially because you have like JetBlue, which kind of leans towards competing with the legacy airlines united american and delta as opposed to spirit which is more focused on competing with like southwest and frontier and airlines in that spectrum what do you guys think about how the customer experience might change
3: well personally i think that number one obviously JetBlue have to completely revamp all of spirit's planes right and that'll cost a lot of money but how they do that, does Jeopardy want to stick more, continue to stick with their high-end kind of product? Like, for example, currently they offer their first class with men on their a twenty ones and also they have a whole bunch of free offerings such as their notable free Wi-Fi and free snacks and drinks and all that. They want to continue on that path or do you want to convert more into of a typical low-cost carrier? where they have more cramped seats, remove kind of all those extra amenities like free wifi and all that. I was
1: actually looking online. I, I believe it was an article from the Washington Post where it was saying that the interior of Spirit Aircraft are actually gonna be transitioned to JetBlue configurations. So actually the product is gonna be upgraded, but of course you have the drawback of the prices, right? Cause now, like I've seen Spirit fares as low as 20 bucks going um, for two or three hour flights. But now you're going to be going more towards JetBlue tier fares, where it's closer to $100 for for a flight like that. And especially with the demographic that Spirit had, where they would offer really cheap flights, that demographic might now have to transition maybe over to an airline like Frontier. But even with Frontier prior to this merger, Spirit had like consistently had one of the lowest rates in the industry. So maybe it's going to be a lot harder for that demographic that Spirit targets to actually travel.
2: And that, in my opinion, is the main concern of the United States Department of Transportation. Because remember that they are the ones who are going to approve this merger. In the past, we saw Alaska and Virgin America and American and U.S. Airways. When they applied for their mergers, they had to go through that entire process of getting approved by the Department of Transportation. And we have seen in the past how the Department of Transportation has handled even airline alliances. JetBlue in the past worked with American, and it still is. And uh, the DOT, I believe they did file suit against JetBlue or one or the other because of competition, right? Frontier, because JetBlue and Spirit are now potentially going to be merging pending approval, Frontier does not have to keep its prices Rock bottom anymore. Although that they will still have Allegiant as a competitor, let's be honest, Allegiant is not the major airline that Spirit is. Frontier and Spirit were always the main competitors. Frontier did not have to compete as much with Allegiant as they did with Spirit. So now Frontier can keep its prices relatively higher than it used to do. And that is one of, in my opinion, the main repercussions. Of this merger that the DOT will definitely be looking into and finding some kind of arguments between the airlines to try to get this merger through. But in my opinion, again, the main repercussion of this is although customers will experience greater JetBlue service to more routes, JetBlue mentioned this on their website when they were talking about the merger, because quote from the website, this acquisition will increase relevance for JetBlue in certain key focus cities like Fort Lauderdale, Orlando, San Juan, and Los Angeles, as well as the big four airline hubs, Las Vegas, Dallas, Houston, Chicago, Detroit, Atlanta, and Miami. And JetBlue is able to increase that presence, giving more customers the option to experience that high quality JetBlue product that everyone knows and loves. But the problem, again, is the cost. Frontier is going to increase its prices. JetBlue does not have low fares, and we all know that. So in the end, customers will have a win-lose situation. Win as in greater experience, but lose as in how to access that experience because the prices are Mm -hmm. going to be high. And right now, airline travel tickets, of course,
1: are at a historical high. Yeah, Dev, actually, that's an interesting point where you were saying how, like, especially with Frontier, right now they have no incentive to keep their prices down. You have Allegiant Airlines, but Allegiant, of course, isn't as well known as the other airlines. And so like it's mainly Spirit and Frontier would be like the two main ultra low cost airlines that you would think about. Southwest, I guess, used to be one, but now kind of their prices are getting higher and higher. Between those two airlines, there's now no longer an incentive for Frontier to keep their prices rock bottom. So they could not have that much of a repercussion.
3: Um, I wouldn't necessarily discount Allegiant because Allegiant, they have about 100 incoming Boeing 737 MAX aircraft. So I would say that now with the opportunities, since there will be not another carrier that's providing these low-cost prices and will be targeting this more low-cost demographic, Allegiant can come into these Floridian markets and bolster their presence in Orlando or the Miami-Fort Lauderdale area and kind of expand and kind of uh target frontier and hopefully bring those prices down
1: interesting does uh spirit have a321 neos or just a320 from what i understand uh
2: as of now they're still on order however they will have some time before they get delivered so it will be interesting to see how jetblue again integrates spirit's fleet into their fleet and how long the retrofitting process will take especially if we compare it to united's next program and they have not retrofitted any planes. They have gotten new 737 MAX 8s that are completely fitted with the next interior and some 737 MAX 9s that have been delivered, but they haven't really started retrofitting any of their other legacy planes. So mm-hmm. we'll we'll have to see if JetBlue has a contrast to that fleet system and in integrating their interiors
1: onto Spirit's old interiors. Yeah, and I know, like, with United, when they retrofitted with their new Polaris cabin, it took them a couple years for them to do it, like, on all of, like, a certain type of aircraft. I believe all of the 767-300s are now in the Polaris cabin, and it's been a couple years. So, of course, definitely with Spirit, the aircraft are smaller, but it'll still take quite a while before all the aircraft are retrofitted. And, And, like, the reason I asked about the Neos was because, you know... With JetBlue having their new routes to London, their transatlantic routes, and their transcontinental routes as well, they could definitely utilize some of Spirit's newer aircraft for that, especially considering Spirit has revamped their fleet, so it's a lot newer.
3: That's also one of the interesting aspects, right? Like with the contrast between the JetBlue and Spirit planes. Like will JetBlue JetBlue operate Spirit as a separate entity and continue to sell flights separately as Spirit? Will they integrate them both instantly under that JetBlue brand and continue to have these um, varying product approaches and the customer doesn't know what to expect if if it's kind of one singular JetBlue airline that there's two different cabin products, one with just a really bad, just like big front seat and then these like really cramped economy seats or maybe this better experience where there's these mid business class seats. And that's, that's one of the most interesting aspects is how JetBlue kind of handles that um, brand integration process.
2: I will say that I was reading this article from CNBC that talks about an interview with JetBlue CEO, Robin Hayes, and she has a very different approach to United. So if you know that JetBlue recently retrofitted their older Airbus A320s that had the core interior, the non-headdress, really comfortable and really spacious seats, but without the headdress, dated TV screens, really popular back in the day, really old and messed up in today's world. But what Robin Hayes says is that they will be able to do it relatively quickly, because the airline has specifically emphasized that it recently outfitted more than 100 of its Airbus planes with the new interiors, and I believe almost all, if not, there's probably like one or two still remaining that still have to be retrofitted, but pretty much all of JetBlue's fleet has revamped interiors except for some of the transcontinental ones that still have the older direct tvs but i expect if this merger were to get approved then JetBlue would move pretty fast on it and i think the best way that they would try to handle that balance between a horrible spirit interior and a perfect JetBlue interior would be to start retrofitting the planes and then entering them into service before entering all the planes into service if that makes any sense.
1: Oh, so do you mean like they'll kind of hold back the Spirit planes and then kind of put them one by one into JetBlue
2: service? Exactly, exactly. Because otherwise passengers are going to be upset, um, especially the new flyers who are flying JetBlue for the first time and God forbid they get unlucky and get the Spirit interior, then they will be very pissed off. They will not enjoy their JetBlue experience. And all of Spirit's planes are still not equipped with Wi-Fi only some are
1: so again so I see where you're coming from there the only thing right is that from from a business perspective those aircraft being parked right you can't earn money from them right you have all these from JetBlue's perspective you have all these new routes that you just acquired and you have all these aircraft that you just acquired and it's going to be very difficult to right have all these routes and you're not earning revenue from operating aircraft on these routes Spirit has almost 200 aircraft right it takes what three to four days i'm just giving an estimation i'm not exactly sure but maybe three to four days for an aircraft to be retrofitted i would assume and maybe you can have multiple aircraft retrofitting at once but yeah it'll definitely take some time so you know like with delta airlines right they have certain aircraft have like an old delta one and a new delta one right um so in that case right Customers are kind of gambling, right? If they're flying on a route, will I be on the old Delta One or on this new modern Delta One suite, right? Similar thing, I guess, with JetBlue, Um, like JetBlue has their Mint Studio, I believe, dedicated on their London routes, but sometimes they have them on transcontinental routes. So maybe on Transcon, you'll be thinking, oh, am I on their Mint, their one, two, like throne seat kind of configuration, or am I going to be on their Mint Studio, right? And aircraft swaps happen all the time. So that could be like, as you were saying, Tages. it could negatively impact the passenger experience for for JetBlue. But the only thing is, I don't know if leaving the aircraft out of service until you put them in would be the best bet.
3: When well, you're talking about putting all these aircraft out of service, I don't think that's how JetBlue approach it. Having 200 aircraft just simply parked there is devastating. And I think that's where JetBlue will still retain that separate spirit entity, right? To continue earning all that revenue on those certain routes, but they'll just slowly but surely, as you said, pull them out of service, they'll retrofit them for, let's say a week, and then they'll enter spirit service. That'll probably be the main model going forward. Something
1: else, like I was thinking, airlines, they aggregate uh, information about the type of passengers, cabins, and all that stuff. As they're flying, maybe JetBlue might just end up putting the spirit aircraft on routes that tend to have a low premium traveler uh, ratio. So if they see most tra- passengers are traveling in economy class on this certain route, they might operate one of the aircraft with the spirit hard product on that route. And that way they can kind of cater to the demand without really hurting their premium product. Because you know, like on, on JetBlue's E-190s, they don't have first class. It's just normal economy. And then they go to even more space. So they could potentially end up making the big front seats even more space, or at least until they actually rush over the aircraft. And then that would actually be an upgrade from the even more space seats that uh, JetBlue currently has.
3: And I mean, that's kind of one of the product decisions that JetBlue have to come to, right? Where they want to kind of still have that big front seat, because obviously on actually a lot of their narrow body aircraft, like their E-190, their um, A320, right, they don't have that kind of first class business class product that those big three airlines like American United and Delta have. And if they want to compete as one of those big top five airlines, they're going to Maybe need something of like a business cabin that rivals like a big front seat or maybe uh, another uh, big three uh, U.S. airline seat. And to try to attract those business customers and hopefully be on that level of like a top five U.S. carrier.
2: So now I wanted to shift the conversation from more of the passenger experience to the transition. From JetBlue and Spirit to a singular JetBlue and how we think it's going to happen. Because remember, the Department of Transportation has to approve all of this. And President Biden has vowed to take a tough stance, according to CNBC, on both, quote, consolidation and inflation so the disappearance of an ultra-low-cost airline could be a tough sell. I agree with a lot of airline and political pundits who say that this may be very difficult to sell to the Department of Transportation because sure, all these government bureaucrats, they want a better passenger experience when they're traveling to and from their homes to Washington, but they also are concerned about competition. So my question to you guys now is, as a potential repercussion, to the airline industry. Do we think that the DOT will approve this merger?
3: Well, I think one of the difficult things is the fact that it's not necessarily super anti-competitive. Like, they're like it's not gonna create a monopoly in certain markets or anything like that. It's just gonna lower fares for other people. Where you call that uncompetitive is kind of your own interpretation. I remember back when Spirit was trying to convince shareholders that the frontier was the better merger options, right? They claimed that the JetBlue the JetBlue merger was unattractive due to kind of how they had already had their alliance with American Airlines in the Northeast, and how adding spirit to that would kind of basically make it even more anti-competitive and maybe have a monopoly in markets like New York and Boston. So maybe one of the concessions that the Department of Transportation will make is they'll force them to kind of sever this uh, Northeast alliance, and then it's also looking at kind of where else they can make concessions. One of the main strongest markets will probably be that Florida area, stuff like Orlando and Fort Lauderdale. And in addition, kind of, with how big JetBlue is currently in New York and Boston, there'll probably also be concessions there. But whether it's uncompetitive, I don't really... Like, you can't argue that there's necessarily a monopoly that'll be established in certain cities. But, but in my opinion, I think that there'll definitely be concessions and I think it'll be approved.
1: Yeah, so I was thinking... Especially with, you know, that transcontinental market where you have, you know, the legacy carrier. Because, of course, JetBlue is competing with the legacy carriers, not low cost. So with those spirit routes, JetBlue is definitely going to have to put a premium product in um, like their mint because they currently have mint operating on their uh, transcon routes and put not having one on spirit when spirit would be operated by JetBlue basically um will not be good for the airline especially considering right cuz united off, operates polaris on those routes delta uh on many of the routes operates delta 1 and then you know you got JetBlue with mint i personally am not too well versed within the acceptance process for the DOT so i i wouldn't have much of a say on that But I was just thinking like, it's kind of interesting to think about, especially with spirits, transcontinental routes, how they're gonna go about that.
2: So I wanted to talk again about the whole DOT process, particularly because I am not 100% sure of course, that this will get passed. I'm leaning towards probably like a 45% chance that this will not get passed, uh, or even if it does get approved, then, as Winston said, there will be some kinds of concessions being made. But I'm really fascinated by JetBlue's counter-argument against the DOT that talks more about competition. Because DOT is saying, oh, passenger fares will go up, there will be less competition between JetBlue and Spirit. But there's two things that JetBlue argues. One, JetBlue is not Spirit's direct competitor. That's number one. Number two, even if JetBlue does buy Spirit, because of course the airline wants to go quickly and compete with the legacy carriers like American Delta United. And it wants to be able to offer more competition because JetBlue does not have that vast expansive route network like American Delta or United or even Southwest for that matter. So with that, as both of you rightfully pointed out, JetBlue will be able to grow in those markets. And according to Robin Hayes, JetBlue will be able to have relatively low fares to more destinations because of this merger. So I'm still a little bit more interested as to how they will be able to provide those lower fares, even with that competition, because competition can't run on very rock bottom prices. Uh, So my main thing about the whole DOT approval process is how it's going to go about. And I think it will get passed. There may be some concessions made, but I think that JetBlue's argument itself is quite fascinating. So, I wouldn't be 100% surprised if the DOT approves it without any concessions because this argument is quite convincing.
1: Also, so you've got like JetBlue, their their market is especially with their mint products targeted more towards business travelers, while Spirit is more towards like the people who just want to go on vacation or just want to get away. So on different routes, they'll have a different level of competition with other airlines. So of course, offering different prices for different fares on different routes will be a strategy that JetBlue could, of course, use in order to maximize their revenue and their sales.
3: Okay, so when Robin Hayes says that fares will be lower, I don't don't really agree with that statement. I mean, currently I want to lead to my art piece I wrote in the last week, JetBlue is currently losing money. And, uh, <clears throat> and every other carrier pretty much is making money. American Delta, Southwest, United, they're all making money. And uh and the only other airline that's losing money other than JetBlue out of the major ones is Spirit. Spirit is also losing money. When you put two carriers that are losing money right now together, in addition to all the costs associated with merging two airlines. Number one, you obviously have to completely retrofit each plane, which I mean, that probably costs at least a million dollars per plane, let's say. Number two, you kind of have to worry about the passenger experience. And also you kind of have to start thinking about branding. You have to change all of those things. And that's going to cost a lot of money. So frankly, Robin Hayes is going to have to fund that somewhere where that's kind of the passenger experience cuts, like just making, I don't know, baggage fare go higher or he's going to have to up those fares. And frankly, Robin Hayes, is lying. That's all I got to
2: Let's talk a bit more about some other repercussions that may seem minor to us. But again, the airline industry, it runs completely on money. So any source of income these airlines can find would be completely beneficial to their overall operating process and operating procedures. So... JetBlue, I think that another problem that we haven't really discussed as much as the overall passenger experience and some of their Floridian routes is how they're going to integrate some of Spirit's hubs and focus cities where they have crew bases and so many different employees that are there. So namely Chicago, Dallas, Detroit, Houston, Las Vegas, Orlando we talked about, but Atlantic City and even Atlanta. So all these places, how JetBlue is going to be able to integrate them, because especially Chicago, Dallas, Houston, and Atlanta are all major hubs for American Delta and United. Uh, One or the other, not major hubs for each one. So it will be interesting to see how JetBlue finds the market share between them. So what are your guys' thoughts on that and how JetBlue will handle hub integration?
3: Well, personally, if you're selling it to the Department of Transportation, you can't necessarily say that, oh, we're cutting this and this and this. Frankly, that just that just sounds like JetBlue is just acquiring Spirit just for to get them rid of them as a competitor, right? So, I mean, obviously, at first, they're going to integrate basically almost all of their crew bases and all of that. I think many of the larger kind of like hub stuff like Chicago, Dallas, I think they're large enough as business destinations. JetBlue will take them on. <coughs> But as for some of the smaller like bases they have, like Atlantic City or like I don't know, one of the smaller airports in Pennsylvania, like Latrobe, Pennsylvania, those type of smaller destinations are gonna be at the risk of kind of being cut or moved move from the network completely. Yeah, I think also that one of the things is that obviously people are yelling inflation, stagflation, recession, all those big economical terms. And frankly, if JetBlue and Spirit run into that within the next couple of years, it's gonna be that looks gonna be pretty bad. But I think other than that, I do think it's possible for both JetBlue and Spirit to merge and definitely come out with a good airline. And obviously, we saw Alaska Airlines and Virgin America. They had a good merger and also i also want to talk about one extra point and the fact that frontier is probably going to win big from this because now they're going to be the sole low cost carrier i mean ultra low cost carrier and they can as tejas i think said earlier jack up prices a bit slightly and so they're definitely with the amount of planes they have coming in they're going to be really successful in the future and i'd watch out for that
1: something else I was thinking, like the staff, you know, like you see things online where it's something like the staff of Spirit, right? Like, of course, this doesn't apply for all staff. But, you know, Spirit being a low cost airline, it's kind of expected all the staff are going to be a little bit less friendly. But when you merge airlines, you use the employees from the other airlines. So Maybe there would be some sort of training or they would have to fire some people, I don't know. But that, that could be another aspect of this merger that could be a point to ponder. So thank you everyone
2: for your thoughts. And now we're going to turn it over to the next part of our podcast for this week. So thank you everyone for tuning into our discussion.
0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Aero Explorer, the world's largest youth-led aviation platform. Indulge in aerospace news and analysis posted multiple times daily from aeroexplorer.com that's aeroexplorer.com without the e and explorer. If you enjoy photographing your favorite metal beasts you can both share and view the hundreds of photos uploaded daily from their photos page. They are also actively recruiting so if you're an aviation enthusiast looking to give back to the community you can review the available positions and submit your application at aeroexplorer.com slash apply. Be sure to follow them on social media to stay updated on the latest news at Aeroexplorer. Now, back to the podcast. Well, this next uh, little news piece then um, is a fantastic example of a growing relationship between the United Kingdom and and the United States. And that is, of course, JetBlue starting up their new route from Boston Logan to London Gatwick. Now, of course, uh, me having uh, grown up in London, it's really, really great as an aviation enthusiast to see more American carriers start up routes and destinations um, across the pond to the United Kingdom. It's always fantastic to see um, another American tail on the ground at Heathrow or Gatwick or Manchester or wherever they may be flying to. So according to Flight Radar 24 then, uh, the first flight operated on this bus uh, Boston to Gatwick route uh, departed at 6 minutes past 7 in the evening and arrived at Gatwick at 19 minutes past 6 in the morning. That's the next morning. And this was operated by one of JetBlue's A321 Neos, specifically November 4058 Juliet, um, under JetBlue 2104, with a total flight time of six hours and 13 minutes. So a pretty good flight time there. And of course the flight was, as you may expect, met at the gate, uh, specifically gate C8 at Logan, uh, with, um, well, pomp and circumstance, if you, if you will. All the red, white, and blue uh, balloons, decorations, uh, everything British really about it, to give passengers the obvious uh, idea um, of, of where this flight is heading to. They even had members of staff dressed up as the Queen's Guards who stand outside Buckingham Palace, um, marshalling passengers, if you will. Uh, to the boarding area um, with signalling sticks, the, the sticks that are actually used by marshals to guide aircraft to their parking positions. So it was all a very well thought out um, spectacle, really, and I'm sure passengers really enjoyed it. But what's very interesting for me is that this is, of course, another transatlantic route being operated by a narrow-body aircraft, in this case, obviously, the A321neo or A321LR, And we've seen quite a few airlines doing this um, quite recently. We've got TAP Air Portugal doing it. Um, SAS is another one to do it. Of course, we have JetBlue already having used the 321 from Kennedy into Heathrow and Gatwick. Uh, And of course, for some time now, we have been seeing the Boeing 757 be used on transatlantic routes too. I personally have never flown a narrow body aircraft on a transatlantic route. If you have, and you do know what it's like to do so, please let us know. We'd like to know what it's like. Um, I certainly don't have an experience of it and I'm much more used to flying on a wide body on transatlantic routes. Uh, But uh, yeah, of course, please do let us know what it's like. Um, But I do think it would be quite an invaluable experience uh, for me to try it out just once to just to see what it's like. Um, And of course, there's JetBlue Mint Studios uh, are a very, very attractive product on, uh, on a flight of that length on a narrow body aircraft. That's definitely something to look out for well there we have it we have reached the end of the very first episode of aerospace we really hope you enjoyed it and i'm sure you'd like to join me in thanking our speakers and contributors to this week's episode be sure to catch us on our social media channels at Aeroexplorer, and on our website for feedback and suggestions regarding future episodes of aerospace we are always listening Once again, my name is Ajaz Kadinoush, and it has been an absolute pleasure being your host this week. Until next time, on behalf of the entire Air Explorer team, we wish you a fantastic week, and as always, blue skies and tailwinds. See you soon. Bye-bye.